The following is a presentation of the Connection Church, a place where people are being set free. If you'd like to know more information about our community, you can join us online at connectionchurchnc.com. So we're in this summer blockbuster series, right? And uh, we're talking about uh, that 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 Hollywood can't write, can't script the things that we find in Scripture. Now, uh, talking about movies, um, my uh, my wife, okay, she's she's like most women um, in the sense that uh, that she likes chick flicks, right? The Roman, oh, the guys, mm, the, the, the listen, okay, if you're a guy and you like romantic comedies, or you like, uh, you know, chick flick movies, go ahead and turn your man card in at the back of the what's next table, all right, that's fine, um, now I'm just kidding, for real though, um, she likes those, those, whenever we are going to watch a movie, right, if my wife picks it, it has to involve um, these three things, okay, it has to involve this guy and this girl, okay, and, and they realize that they like each other, Okay, and then somewhere along the way, they there's a problem, right? They get in a fight. They have this kind of this um, this problem that that happens or whatever, and they don't like each other. And then the third thing is they realize that they really do love each other, and the end of the story is that, right? And they fall in love, happy ending, whatever. If that movie, if the romantic comedy or whatever doesn't have those three elements, my wife doesn't feel fulfilled, right? When she watches the movie. Now, on the other hand, right, um, guys, we like explosions and swords, yes, right, bombs, guns, right, yes, car chases, airplanes, robots, aliens, do, I mean, you know, all of those things, right? We don't even care what the story is. It doesn't even matter plot, what plot line, right? Well, there's no character development. It's a stinking robot that turns into a car, right? How awesome is that? That's what we like, right? So it doesn't matter about that, but that's what we're into. Now, you know, like I said, um, what they never show at the end of any of the movies, right, especially at the end of, of the chick flicks, what they don't show is when the credits are done, the movie's over, go home, two years later, right, when Prince Charming isn't so charming anymore, right? What they don't show is the princess in the movie two years later after the wedding, after it's all said and done, whatever, is beginning to look more like Bridezilla, right? They don't show that type of stuff in the movies. They don't show that script. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to kind of look into relationships, all right? I want to talk specifically about marriage, okay? But if you are not married, that's okay. You can apply this same principle into all of the relationships that you have in your life, okay? Because this is applicable throughout the whole thing, all right? So what I want to do is uh, go ahead and throw uh, John 1 up there. I want to look at this interaction that Jesus had in the Gospel of John. Okay, John was a disciple of Jesus. He had a firsthand account uh, with God, okay? Him and Jesus hung out. How awesome would that be, right? So John wrote this story of his interactions with Jesus, how he saw Jesus, all right? And, and so I want to use this to kind of to paint the picture of where we are going, okay? So one of the main points of the Gospel of John, of his story of Jesus, is this. It says, and from his fullness, okay, from Jesus's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, 
For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, so what this means is that from all of Jesus, from every point of him, from everything that he is, every component, every piece of the puzzle, not just a little bit of Jesus, but every part of him, he is full to the brim with grace. He gives us grace upon grace. Grace is unlimited favor. Okay, that means that God, because of Jesus, is actually extended toward us. He's leaned in on us. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to know him intimately because of what Jesus has done for us. All right, we don't deserve it. There's nothing we do to get it. That's what grace is, undeserved favor. And Jesus is full of it. All right, so watch this. 17, it says, the law which is the Old Testament system of rules and rituals that the people of Israel in the Old Testament in the Levitical law used to try to get to God. All right? It was established by God. Uh, in Romans, it actually says it was established to show us how far off we are, how far we can't get to God. But the Old Testament rule was given through Moses, a human, a patriarch, one of the leaders of Israel. But grace extended favor, unmerited favor, and truth, which is reality, which is truth is the foundation that we stand on. It's what is real in this world. Truth and grace comes from Jesus Christ. All right, so with that said, let me posit this question for you. Let me throw this out there. What if... Because we are followers of Jesus. In our marriages and in our relationships, what would it look like for us to be full of grace upon grace? To be extended with grace toward other people? What if we stopped living a life based on rules and rituals and following this and that and performance and we have to do this and that and so on and so forth, but instead we built relationships on grace and on truth? What would that look like? So what I want to do is unpack that idea. Keep First John or John 1, 16 through 17, in your mind as we uh, illustrate this point, all right? So what I want to do is jump in in John chapter 2, go the next page over. In John chapter 2, I want to use this story to illustrate that whole message, okay? So it's the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. You know, okay, probably all of you have heard that, seen that, you know, whatever, um, heard that story before, read that story somewhere um, in Scripture. And so I want to use this to, to kind of to illustrate my point. All right, so watch this. In John chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. All right, now this one's for free, okay? I'm just going to throw this one out there because this blows my mind. All right, think with me about this. Um, I find it interesting that many times throughout Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the groom. Jesus is the groom, and, and the church or his people is referred to as the bride, okay? And, and in Revelation, it actually talks about this wedding feast, this wedding ceremony, this joyous occasion that is going to happen when Jesus returns and his bride becomes pure, the church becomes pure, and is met, meets the groom, 
Okay, so Jesus is the groom and the bride. And the way that we get there is through his death and resurrection three days later. So I find it interesting that Jesus' first miracle, his first sign of his divinity happened three days later at a wedding celebration between a bride and a groom. Now, I'm not saying it is what it is. I'm just saying I just find that super interesting. Now, let's keep going, okay? So it goes on. It says, the mother of Jesus, Mary, okay, she was there, and so was Jesus and the disciples. They were at this wedding feast, okay, and the wine runs out, okay? Um, And and Jesus' mom, Mary, comes to Jesus and says, they don't have any wine. The wine's gone. And Jesus says to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In other words, um, why are you involving me in this, uh, Mary? Now listen, okay, in our context, if we call somebody woman, that's like degrading, right? If I walked up to my wife, I'm like, woman, come on, what's up? I mean, that would be bad, okay? I'm not, honey, I don't do that, right? Um, but, but in this context, in this day and age, it's totally appropriate for Jesus to call his mother woman, okay? So don't take offense to that. It's not like, you know, woman, shut up. He's not, he's not slapping her face, none of that stuff. What he's saying, okay, in this is he's saying he, Jesus is gently reminding his mom, okay? He's reminding his mom that he is the one who is hearing from God. He hears from God the Father, okay, who is his father. God tells him what to do. God sees, God goes to work, and Jesus goes and follows that. That's what Jesus does. That's the whole point of this story, okay? So Jesus is reminding her, my hour's not yet here, okay? It's not time for me to reveal myself as the Son of God, so just chill out, Mary, okay? Now listen, moms, all right, don't control your sons, all right? Just go ahead. It's all good. Y'all got controlling moms up in here? Come on. I'm just kidding. You're not going to raise your hand because you're going to be in trouble. Just kidding. All right. It's a mom trade. They love you, okay? It's cool. No worries. All right. So watch this. All right. This is Brent International Version, okay? So, so this is totally my interpretation on this scripture. I'm not taking this God's honest truth. I'm just saying this is what I feel like God has told me as I've dug in this scripture. All right. So they're at this marriage celebration. They're at this marriage dinner, right? Get this. They're drinking wine. Whoa, all right? They're drinking alcohol. Whoa, all right? That's a bad church word, right? Okay, just kidding. They're drinking wine, okay? Now, in this day, in this age, in in that context, in this particular point in history, wine was a symbol of celebration, it was a symbol of joy. It was a symbol of victory, right? So, so it, that's perfectly normal for them to celebrate with wine at a wedding. It's a joyous occasion. They should be glad and happy and celebrate, okay? The old wine runs out. Now, this represents our own selfish pursuits. When we pursue our own selfishness, in our marriages, and in the relationships that we have, when we pursue our own stuff, what we want, regardless of what Jesus says, regardless of whether it helps our family or not or whatever, when we pursue the things that we want whenever we want it, whatever road we go down, whatever, it eventually results in emptiness. The old wine will run out. You can pursue whatever you want, but if it doesn't, have Jesus at the center, the old wine is going to run out. Okay? Keep that in mind, all right? That is our selfishness. That is the old wine, okay? Now, um, if we are at the center of our celebration, 
If we're the reason why the party's going on, then the party's not going to be very good. The party is not going to be worth very much. Think in terms of this in our relationships with each other. When we seek to serve ourselves, when I seek to serve myself in my relationship with my wife, when I seek to serve myself in my relationship with my kids, my kids suffer. My wife suffers. When I choose selfishness over being selfless, when I choose the old wine to pursue my own stuff, my family pays the price, and so does yours. Keep that in mind this morning. The old wine that we're drinking doesn't taste very good. But what's crazy is without Jesus helping us see that, we think it tastes awesome. We celebrate, man. Do, do whatever you can. Claw, scratch to the top. That's what the world tells us. Get everything you can. Do whatever you got to do to just do that, to just make you happy, right? Don't drink the old wine. Verse 5 goes on, it says, Mary says to the servants, all right, do whatever Jesus tells you to. So Mary concedes the leadership. She realizes that Jesus needs to be running the show, okay? And she says to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So Jesus is now coming to the center of this story. It says this, now there were six stone jars, stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, Okay, these suckers were humongous, okay? They're, they're made of stone, they're jars, they're, they're huge, okay? They're carved out of stone, okay? This is different than, than your ordinary clay pots back in that day. In, in the, the Old Testament period, in the Jewish period is that this was going on, they had clay pots that they would use for daily use, like washing dishes and, and, uh, and daily household cleaning and all that kind of stuff. But by the Jewish Old Testament law, that was considered impure, Okay, so those old clay pots were just, they were considered impure and not important. These hand-carved stone jars were set aside for a specific purpose, okay? They were considered as pure. They were used for the Jewish rite of purification, which means they would use it to, like, wash their hands before they eat. There's this ceremonial washing that they would have to do with their hands. The bride would be ceremonially cleansed, would be washed to, as a symbol that she was pure, that she was going to be given to the groom. So that's what these stone jars were used for, okay? So they're the pure uh, stone jars. They were considered clean by Jewish Old Testament standards, okay? And Jesus says, take those jars and fill them with water. And so they fill them up to the brim, all the way up to the very, very top. Couldn't get any more water in them. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Take it to the MC. all right, the guy that's, that's running the show. So, so get this. Jesus steps onto the scene. He takes these, ceremonially, uh, these ceremonial stone jars for washing and for purity, okay, that are, that are Old Testament clean, and he fills them up to the brim with water. Those stone jars that are pure represent the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was given to Moses, like it says in John, uh, for, uh, John 1, 17. It was given to Moses, all right, and it, and it was specifically pure. It was given by God to the people of Israel. Okay, they didn't realize this, but it was given to them to show them how far off they are from God, how they can't reach God. God gives ten commandments. Do any of us follow every single one of the ten commandments? No. 
Okay, so God makes it easier. In the New Testament, he gives two commandments. He takes the ten and combines them, condenses them into two. He says, love God and love others. And guess what? We still can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not capable. The, old, the jars were the representation of the pure Old Testament law that God gave to the people of Israel. But guess what? There is no way that in our own strength and in our own performance and in our own actions, we can fill those jars. We can't fulfill what God is asking us to do. So Jesus comes, and he fills them. Because we're not pure. We can't do what the law commands us to do. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about the fact that we have this treasure, Jesus, in earthen jars. We're unclean, earthen, ordinary vessels that have cracks and bruises and all this kind of stuff. And we have this treasure inside of us. The Old Testament standard is pure and holy and it's established by God. And the only one who can fill it completely to the brim is Jesus. Notice it says that. You know what that means? There is nothing that we can add to our salvation. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law that God requires to, for, to enable us to get back into community with him. He fills it completely to the brim. There's nothing that we add to our salvation. Jesus alone fulfills. Remember, in John 1.17, it says, His fullness out of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So in God's judgment, Jesus fulfills the justice that God requires completely. And what are we left with? Grace upon grace. Because all we are is broken earthly vessels. So get this. In our marriage, Jesus Christ has to be the center. Okay? Hear me. Jesus Christ has got to be the absolute center because just like we're incapable of fulfilling the Old Testament law, okay, we can't perform good enough to get to God's standards. Guess what? You as a husband or a wife cannot perform good enough to the standard that your spouse wants. It's the classic picture. The wife is looking for the knight in shining armor to come and take her away and live happily ever after like the end of the movie and only to realize that there are cracks in our armor, guys, right? The princess is not as perfect as you thought she was. Marriage is not easy. Just like the Old Testament law that demands performance, when we bring performance into our relationship, in our marriages, we will be disappointed. I love my wife to the best of my ability, but I still hurt her. She loves me to the best of her ability, but she still offends me. We cannot bring performance into our relationship. When our performance, if performance-driven marriages is what we're shooting for, it's always going to result in disappointment. I know that because I've experienced it. We still love each other, but we screw up because I'm an impure clay pot. <laughs> Think about this. You take a broken sinner who is not pure, 
and then you take another broken sinner, and you put them together. That's what marriage is. What do you think you're going to get, right? You're going to get a bunch of little sinners, right? That's what this whole thing is. Two broken sinners trying to get through life together, trying to figure this thing out, and they create little bitty sinners. That's what it is, right? That's what this whole thing is about. We cannot bring performance into our marriage. It has to be about the relationship. Let's talk about that. In one second. It says this. So they took the water, all right? When the master of the feast came, he tasted the water. They gave it to him in like a ladle or a cup or whatever. Um, and the water had become wine, all right? And, and it says he didn't know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water. They knew. The water had become new wine. Now get this. This new wine represents the new covenant, the new relationship that Jesus is establishing with us God establishes this new relationship through Jesus Christ by his death and by his resurrection, which is, once again, because it's wine, it's a cause for celebration, right? This new wine that Jesus gives us is a cause for celebration. It's a cause for victory because through his grace, through his truth, through what he has done to fulfill us, to give us grace upon grace, we can get back into community with God. Get this, as a follower of Christ, you are filled with grace and truth. You have the ability to extend grace and truth to everyone. That's how we should live our lives. That's how we should interact with our spouses, with our husbands, with our wives. That's what it looks like to live in the new covenant, to celebrate the new wine that Jesus gave us that is his blood that covers us. You see, as I said earlier, this is about building a relationship. It's not about performance. This is asking Jesus to help you see your spouse with Jesus' eyes. This is asking Jesus to help you filter every experience and everything that comes into your life through his grace and through his truth in every situation, even when they are at They're worst. See, this is the beauty of seeing people the way Jesus sees them. Jesus meets every single one of us with grace and truth, and we are called to do the same. At times, all right, in my marriage, I need to extend grace to my wife, and she needs to extend grace to me. I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to do things that miss the mark. I'm going to offend her, and there are times that she needs to be gracious with me All right, and then at the same time, bring truth in. Truth is that foundation, all right? Truth is reality. Sometimes, husbands and wives, we need reality checks, right? Let me give you an example of what this looks like to live in grace and truth, okay? So, um... The, the, the biggest point, one of the biggest points of contention in my marriage right now is putting my children to bed, okay? Um, I have a five-year-old and I have a two-year-old, and if you have little kids, you know what it's like to put your children to bed, okay? And, and um, I was watching this message the other day. Judah Smith, he says, he puts it this way, when you tell your child it's time to go to bed, what they hear in the filter of their mind is it's time to die. Okay, and and so and so when you say it's time to go to bed, what they hear is it's time to cut off your head. Okay, and so so literally when I come to my daughter and say, Lily, it's time to go to bed. It's like this switch 
flips on and she goes into this survival mode, right? She, like like cave woman, crazy, go nuts, like running around. It's like all of a sudden she just had like 10 pounds of chocolate, right? And she she doesn't want and all of a sudden it's like I'm trying to get her to brush her teeth and her arms don't work, right? And and like and I'm trying to put her 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 pajamas on and she, it's like she can't do it and like she's crying and screaming and then I put her in bed and I'm like, "Listen, go to bed." And she's crying, screaming, and then she gets a little bit quiet. And then she cries and screams again, right? And I'm like, if you get out of that bed, I'm going to rip your face off, okay? If you get out of that bed one more time, I'm going to rip your legs off so you can't get out of the bed, okay? That's when the holy anger of the Lord, like, swells up and I freak out. I'm just kidding. That's not holy. It's totally sinful. But anyway, so, like, I lose my mind, right? And what's crazy is that at that moment, that's where my wife recognizes I'm on the edge, right? I'm about to lose it. And she comes in and extends grace upon grace. She says, hey, honey, why don't you go downstairs and read a book, right? Why don't, why don't you just take a minute, you know, go out and run or, or like bash your head up at the, you know, in the, the, the thing, whatever, you know, punch some walls, do whatever you got to do. Just go on for a minute. And she comes in, she hugs Lily, she loves her. Tells her a story, kisses her head, you know. It's like, does that mom thing, right, that, that she does, and all of a sudden she's asleep, and I don't know how that happened, right? So she gives grace upon grace. And then, okay, she's not done. Because then once I'm settled down and I'm calm and I'm, like, done with that moment, right, I've come, brought back, Brent's come back to life, and caveman Brent is, is gone, and, um, and she gives me truth, <laughs> Right? But the thing that I love about it, she doesn't condemn. It's not, hey, Brent, you suck as a dad. You're terrible, right? You're a horrible dad. Why do you scream at our child? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? It's truth. Hey, Brent, maybe, maybe next time we need to treat her a little bit differently. If we embrace her with love and we give her grace, maybe she might react differently. Instead of screaming, you're going to rip her legs off. It probably scares her a little bit, right? And, and so that's the picture. If my wife, when I'm losing my mind, comes at me with condemnation and anger, all it does is make the situation worse, right? I get mad at her and Lily. I get mad at everybody. She's not giving me grace. She's giving me condemnation. And so what Jesus is asking of us is that we be filled with grace upon grace because we can't perform. We're not capable. That's what it looks like to live in grace and truth. Get this, all grace doesn't mean the absence of truth. We have to have both. We have to have grace that extends favor when it isn't deserved, but we also have to have the truth of Jesus Christ that is the bedrock foundation that we build our marriage upon. And when that truth is solid, and when we understand truth, and we give truth in grace, it's not condemnation. When my wife gives me grace, guess what? I want to do better. When she reveals truth to me, like an area of my life that I'm blind and I can't see, when she reveals that in a gracious manner, not a con condemnation, like you stink as a dad, you stink as a husband, you know, when she does not do that, but she brings grace to the table, it makes me want to live better. Grace begets grace. 
Grace is affirmation. Grace is encouraging. Truth in love, truth in grace is what we've got to build our relationship on. And the only way we can do that is in Jesus Christ because we can't perform. So it goes on. Check this out. Verse 10, the master of the feast calls the bridegroom over, and he says, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, the poor wine. Okay, which this means that they would either serve lesser quality wine or they would start cutting wine with water, like two-thirds water and one-thirds wine because the people are getting a little tipsy, right? They're getting a little crazy. Um, and, And it says, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now notice this, okay? The master of the feast wasn't saying that they waited until the people were drunk to give out the good wine. Okay, getting drunk in that Jewish culture in that day and age, it was sinful, it was wrong, okay? It's still sinful, it's still wrong. Getting drunk is not right, it's socially embarrassing, okay? All of those kind of things. So he's not saying that. What he's saying, get this, is that the message of Jesus, the call and the mission that Jesus is calling on us is counter-cultural. It flips everything on its end, You see, because we are broken. We are sinful, lost individuals apart from Christ. And we will self-serve every single time. We will drink the old wine every single time until we are willing to submit ourselves to drop our agenda and receive the new wine that Jesus paid for with his blood. And what's crazy is we think that this old wine is so good that we'll pursue it at any cost, even to the point of intoxication in our own pursuits. We get drunk on our own pursuits And we can't, our senses become dulled at the possibility of experiencing a new life in the celebration, in the joy, in the fulfillment in our lives and in our marriages that we can only get when Jesus Christ is the center. I heard a guy once say, when we fill our hands with the world, in our selfish pursuits, and we fill ourselves full of that, then when we come to grab hold of Christ, we realize we can't because our hands are so full of the world. Guys, the old wine is not worth it. Jesus is offering something different in our lives, something that will change literally the DNA of your marriage. He goes on to say in verse 11, this is the first of his signs that Jesus did. He manifest his glory and the disciples believed. See, this means that that story of Jesus turning water into wine, the whole purpose of it was to reveal, that's what manifest means, to reveal God's worth. That's what glory is, worth. To reveal 
that Jesus was worth something. And what I'm telling you this morning is that that is the purpose of our marriage. The reason that we enter into a covenantal relationship with another person is not to make us happy. It's not to make us fulfilled. It's not to make us feel like we're going to live this fairy tale story for the rest of our life. The purpose of marriage is designed to reveal the glory of Jesus. Because when two broken sinners get together, the obvious outcome is broken sin. But when two broken sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ get together, and what they see is grace and truth, when the world looks at your marriage and goes, there is something different about that couple. They don't treat each other the way that normal couples do. And that's revealing the glory of God. Dang, that's what it's about. We have an opportunity in the marriage that we are in to show people how much Jesus Christ means to us by the way we treat our spouse. Live in grace and truth today, friends. But you can only do it when you submit yourself to Jesus. The band's going to come up. They're going to sing a song. It's called Nothing is Wasted. Listen, okay? Marriage is not easy. I get it. All right? I know. There's a lot of people that are living broken lives here today. And so what I want you to do is as this song is sung, think about the words Sing them out. Internalize the fact that literally nothing happens in our life that God can't redeem. Nothing that we experience is wasted when we give it to God. No matter how broken, no matter how messed up, no matter how screwed up, Jesus fulfills it. He gives us grace upon grace. If you would stand and sing this song with me.